Hey everyone, welcome back for the second half of my conversation with Miss Katie. I'm Joy Derringer and this is 99 Lead Balloons. Episode 8, Music in Education, Part 2. Like for me, I mean, I have all of these ideas and I, I exclusively run music classes. So it's also like, how does that show up in this space? And right now I exclusively run them virtually. So that's also very different. I mean, even how you talk about like how you set up a classroom, it's like, well, we're all on zoom. We're all, I mean, in one, for some of my classes, depending on what they are, I'll spotlight myself. But for some of my small classes where there's like eight kids, we're all the same size. And I think there's something Mm. that's pretty cool about that too, where it's like, I'm not even taking up more space. Like we all are, (laughs) we have our all little boxes on zoom and it's, Mm -hmm. um, and so I think of like how I translate that into my, cause sometimes I'll think of something in practice and be like, Oh, if I was a traditional teacher, like if I taught, you know, kindergarten and I had all the subjects, how would I do that? But then to think for me specifically teaching music, how does, yeah, how does that work with music? Um, And my approach to teaching music classes is also very different. Definitely not the traditional approach. Mm -hmm. Mine is way more of music exploration. I actually don't teach like certain, I don't teach like the notes and I don't Mm. teach um, a lot of even the terms Uh, for music it's so much more about like inviting children into like creating music together and so how I've shifted that for my small classes has been um, you know we do a lot of songs but we will if there are songs that they're really excited about we'll, we'll bring those back in and I started to realize like oh kids really know these songs because we've sung them a lot and they like them a lot so why do I need to lead it if they know you know because there'd be things Uh, like you know a kid would start singing a song and I'd be like oh that's a fun song and then I start it over because in my mind I'm like they're just giving an idea even if they're singing it and they're like already through the first verse mm -hmm. when I start it it's like it's official that it starts with me and I was like really questioning that too to be like Mm -hmm. Why can't I just pick up where they are to be like, oh, they, they've started to lead us in this song. Let's continue it. Yeah. Or um, even for like silly songs, um, I'll have us take turns and be like, does anyone want to lead us in the next verse? And then, the, you know, they'll make the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think about this, too, with like things that I have like rigidity around that I don't need to. Um, so, for example, there's a story going on a bear hunt and it's like a story song, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a progression of events that I'm very familiar with because I've read the book a lot. And so it's like they go through the tall grass, then they go through the water, then they go through the mud. And the whole concept is you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you have to go through it. So you're like going through all these different terrains. Mm-hmm. And sometimes with the students, I'll be like, oh no, we're at the water, what do we do? And a student will be like, let's take a boat. And then I'll be like, well, no, because there's no boat. You can't go over, you know? And then I'm like, <laughs> why can't there be a boat? Right. Like, 
what, there's not there's not even a rule around like the whole right. idea is where you're setting up this concept for like we're trying to find a bear and that's at the end but how mm-hmm. we get there is like it's and, and even like sometimes what will happen is we'll make it all the way to the bear and then I'll be like ah and the idea is you run away back through the the path yeah. and sometimes the kids will be like oh it's a nice bear let's stay and play and then I have to be like is that okay yeah why isn't it okay I mean I guess yeah. if you're trying to teach like well be careful around certain animals sure. <laughs> but that's a different lesson you know and yeah. to be like yeah why can't this be a totally because it's not that they don't even know what the original story is we've done it before it's mm-hmm. like their way of of experimenting and having freedom to like think of a new idea and so yeah. I mean so much of my teaching style also has come out of like an improv background of being like how do you yes and everything like oh, how do my you goodness. Yeah. You know, and that like has really shaped so much of my teaching. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I really, really love that. And it's so, um, again, it is, it's, it's something that, like you said, you have to constantly go back and be like, oh, wait, does it need to be this way? Actually, could we try another way of doing it? I catch myself doing that all the time with one of my kids who is <laughs> neurodivergent and I am too, which means that I have found my way that I like to do things. Yeah. And for mm-hmm. me, that works really, really great. He doesn't like all of my ways of doing things. I like having things a certain way and he doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. And it especially comes out, ironically, in music. <laughs> Um, oh really yeah I'm very much um I want the sheet music in front of me I Mm. want to play it exactly as it's written that is the only way that I want to play I love it when other people come up like do new arrangements and new ways of playing um like one of my favorite things to listen to is the Jacques Lucier trio playing Debussy like they Mm. like putting a more jazz spin and it's a more jazz arrangement of Debbie say I love it I love listening to it but if you're gonna ask me to play it like I'm, I'm not going to I'm gonna play mm-hmm. it in the time and the tempo and the everything exactly as written yeah. my son is not that way he will learn a song and then he will go hmm let me play around with all of these other ways to play mm-hmm. this song I, I'd like to like kind of change the tempo or change the 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 you know timing and instead of playing single notes here I'm gonna play a chord and you know all of these different things Mm. and I'm like that's not how the song goes (laughs) when he does that and he you know and finally I just had to one day I was like I'm tired of correcting him so I'm just not gonna bother today and then um after he did it his way several times, he played it a couple of times, you know, the way it's written. Mm-hmm. And then he went back to his way. And it was just that he wanted to, he just wanted to do it his way. Mm. And it helped him. It helped him play it the way it was written. Um, because now he had a better understanding of it and now he had a better way of what could be done with it. And I remember he, he had lessons either that day or the next day or something like that. And he showed his teacher, he was like, Oh, I learned, I I figured out this other way to play the song. And I was like, no, don't. 
And I don't like I don't know why I was like, no, don't. But, you know, in retrospect, it makes no sense. But he went ahead and showed his teacher and his teacher was like, that's awesome. That's so great. You know, and and I love that you're doing that and you're making up <laughs> songs and, uh, you know, writing music. And it's so funny how um, it it's a wonderful thing for him to explore music in that way. But I have these very strange like biases like, no, it has to be that because this is the way it was written. Right. So you have to play it that way. These are the yeah. rules. Why are they the rules? Um, yeah. Who do they benefit? <laughs> totally. I think even too, I mean, I absolutely am like, okay, here's, you know, here's the way it's written or here's like the scale that we follow. And it's like good to have a grasp and an understanding of that. Yeah. And I, I also catch myself being like, you know, when, when someone plays something, if they're messing around on the piano or something and they're playing something wrong, mm. I have to remember too, like, I'm like, oh, this is the scale. I'm thinking of the, the scale that we use here in the West, or I'm thinking of the scale. And, and there are actually, there are lots of different scales. There's a lot of different mm. You look at so many other cultures and like the, um, the notes that they use in their scale is different or like the, yeah. um, and just being like, oh, there, there is a space for that. And it, it can be a hard line to be like, when are you like, okay, that was really fun for you to experiment. And now like, let's try to like, let's learn yeah. the, the real thing. Yeah. Um, but I think even if there's a, a, a little girl who's in one of my classes and she just started learning the piano recently and I don't do uh, piano in my class. Um, but sometimes I'll leave space, uh, at the end of class, if, if kids want to tell me something or show me something. Mm -hmm. And, um, this one girl, she was really excited. She's been learning the piano. And so she wanted to play us a song. Yeah. And so she did. And it started, I think it was Mary had a little lamb and she had started it on the, like the right notes and then somehow like got off and then was like <laughs> still playing it, but just not the, you know, yeah. um, and at the very end, I I was like, oh, what do I say? Like, you know, I could be like, all right, next time, don't forget to keep, you know. But mm. I'm also like, I'm not here to, I wasn't actually here to teach piano music. Like, she was showing us something. And so I was like, how did you, um, how did that feel, like, to play it? And she was like, that felt amazing. She's oh. like, I love getting to play in front of people. And just being like, yeah, why do I, I don't need to take that from her. I, I think so yeah. much about, when I think about antibiotics, and this is sort of, zooming out a bit, but like when I think about anti-bias education, especially for young kids, I think like one of the places where you start is like, how do you build up self-love and self-appreciation? How do you help, um, support kids in being like, I am beautiful. I'm worthy. I'm important. I'm enough. Like, um, and just to feel really good about themselves. Like that is like the first step. If you, if you study anti-bias education for young, for early childhood, like that is the first step because you yeah. want them to, to recognize that there are, cause kids already do. They recognize that there's differences. They recognize if your hair's short and my hair's long, or if our skin tone colors, like they'll, they'll notice those things. Um, and so how do you foster that? Like, yes, there, these are all, these are differences and they're also great. And there's so many different yeah. ways to be a person. Yeah. And so I think about when kids are excited to show me something, how do I like sit with that a bit, especially mm. if I'm not in a position to needing, like to, to make sure they need to do it a certain way. Like mm -hmm. they're just excited to, to share. Yeah. Um, and so I try to think about, 
you know, fostering that in a classroom and just in general. I mean, all of these things are like, mm-hmm. I use them for myself. I'm like, how do I yeah. increase my self-love? How do I, you know, like yeah. all of that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I think one of the most important things that someone ever told me about, you know, responding to my kids and responding to other children that I work with is, um, you know, similarly to what you said was, um, instead of commenting on like the quality of what they did, yeah, comment on how it made them feel and, and say, wow, you looked like you were really enjoying that or, wow, it seems like you really worked hard on this or, oh man, I bet you were having so much fun doing, you know, this Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, and that totally changed the, the way that I thought about the things that my kids do. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I thought I have to teach them to be the best at it. Mm-hmm. And I have to teach them to follow, you know, these sets of rules and these standards or else they'll, what's the point of doing it? Mm-hmm. But really the point of doing it is to enjoy it. The point of doing it is to, uh, t- is to, is that you love doing it. And maybe it will bring someone else joy too, but is that the purpose of it? Is it just, you know, maybe for some people it is, maybe for some people it's, I want to bring joy to others. Um, But also that probably then brings that person joy. Like if they're doing it to see happiness on other people's faces, then that makes them happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm totally with you. I think so much about, um, how, when we translate, when we comment about what just happened, um, in a way that ties it to like our approval, how that can really shape things for children. Yeah. Even like, you know, and I know that there's been a lot of talk about this recently, but even the idea of being like, I'm, I'm proud of you. And I I don't ever think that that's bad to say, but I think like the better thing to say is like, Oh, you like, uh, like, are you proud of yourself or like, mm. how do you feel about that? Cause then it's, it's so much more intrinsic and it's, yeah. and that intrinsic motivation will carry you further than like, Oh, I'm going to disappoint my parent or I'm going to like disappoint my teacher or I'm doing this for just this person. But then mm. like, it's, it's dependent on that person. And yeah. so I, so I'll, I'll ask that for, and, and even like just in my classroom, this is just a general practice I've been doing is like, I'll comment on things that I see happening. And sometimes in my experience, I feel like sometimes kids just want to be seen and acknowledged. Mm. And it's not even necessarily that I need to like do a big clap or I need to be like, you're amazing, you know, yeah. and not that any of those things are bad, but I realize like kids really just want to be seen. So sometimes they'll like show me a piece of art that they've been working on. Um, and I'll just talk, about I'll be like oh I see you used some purple there and like oh mm-hmm. that's green in the corner mm-hmm. and like you know did this take you a long time to work on I'll be like yeah I'm like wow that's like you know you seems like you were being really patient and mm-hmm. you spent a lot of, I can see you spent a lot of time on it you know yeah. and sometimes it's just that like sports casting like commentary just whatever it is that's that you see them doing that yeah. like is validating enough already mm-hmm. um 
And so, no, I think that, I think that's great with rethinking that practice and yeah, just the idea of like wanting them to be the best at something. Um, and I, I've spent, and I wonder too, for children, like, you know, if they're playing around and they keep hearing the song that they're supposed to be playing, like at some point, will they be like, okay, this doesn't quite sound like it. I want to put my fingers in the right spot or like mm-hmm. figure it out. Yeah. Um, but also giving them space to arrive there is interesting. I also feel yeah. like I say all this and I realize like I teach my classes in a very different way. Um, so I have a little bit more space to be like, yeah, we're just, it's so much more of a expressive play. I mean, oh, and even I for that. myself, I, I mostly describe myself. I mean, I have a few titles for my work, but I'll be like, you know, I'm a songwriter, I'm a filmmaker and I, or a content creator. Um, and I probably fall more into the teaching artist category more so than a, a standard like teacher. Yeah. Um, because I'm, I'm someone who I'm a practicing artist in my craft and I'm like, I, you know, I'm a songwriter filmmaker for that. And I teach children out of my practice. And so I've been able to shape my classes in a very different way <laughs> than I think most teachers, yeah. um, which I really love. And it's it's a very unique thing for me to feel like well it's okay if they're singing in the wrong key or like the wrong key or just doing like we're just we're just growing in confidence Mm -hmm. um for exploring music and Mm -hmm. bringing in our different ideas and like almost like storytelling through music going on these like musical adventures um just like feeling good about themselves while interacting with music and allowing that to like amplify whatever it is that we're doing. So that's like very specifically what I do. Mm, I love that. I love that. I wish that, um, gosh, I wish that I'd had that when I was a kid, you Mm. know, uh, because like, don't get me wrong. I love music and I love the exposure that I had to it as a child. Um, and even now, but that, could be I can imagine that that is so um affirming and and life-giving for kids Mm. to experience yeah and I will say like another part of um thinking about like like rethinking a classroom space and rethinking working with students is um I feel like I've always been taught there's this like come there's always this whoever raises their hand first gets called on mm. sort of mentality. Yeah. Um, which I had never really questioned until like more recently because then I realized, oh, then it's the same kids that are being called on. And I love that enthusiasm. I love that excitement. But like maybe, uh, but like how do we make this space a little bit more, I don't know if it's just equal, but like, I mean, more equitable and just make it a better environment for all students to have the attention that they need in the way that they need it um, and want it. And so especially for the age that I'm teaching, it's not, I mean, I think it'd be different maybe if I was teaching, I don't know, eighth grade biology and I am asking a very, do they do biology in eighth grade? Probably I don't even know. I I have no idea. (laughs) But just the idea of like, if I'm asking a question that has a right or wrong answer and then I call on a random student, like that can sometimes not feel great. But I have to think like the things that I'm asking are things that probably every child has an opinion on. So I'll be like, 
you know, we're, um, uh, like we're imagining like there's a beautiful garden over here. What color is the flower? Um, even if I call on a kid who wasn't ready, like they'll come up with an answer. Cause they'll be like, it's blue, it's purple, it's rainbow, it's glitter, like, mm. you know, all sorts mm-hmm. of answers. And if they don't want to answer, that's okay. And I've had that before where some kids will be like, I don't want to answer. Mm. I'm like, that's fine. I just want to give you an opportunity. You don't have to, but it's mm-hmm. like just making sure there's space for everyone to answer if they want to. And so I noticed that that's a different, even for the kids that I teach now, it's a different way for them because they'll be like, I've been raising my hand. And I'm like, yes, and I see you. I just want to make sure everyone has a chance because I haven't heard mm. from some of our other friends um, in a little bit. And so that's been a different thing too for me because there are some kids who I'm like, I've made it, I've created an assumption in my head already that they're really shy. They don't want to talk. And then mm. I'll call on them and they'll be like really excited to share. <laughs> they just weren't raising just their weren't hand. Raising their or whatever it is, yeah. or they looked like they were doing something else, but actually they were very involved listening and maybe they were drawing, but they were listening and paying attention, you know? So, mm, yeah. um, that's been another part of my practice is just making sure to really invite everyone to have an opportunity to, to contribute to what we're building. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And, um, uh, Yeah. it's funny that you say that about um you know it's always the same kids right like if you only call on the kids who raise their hands first it's always the same kids talking um because everyone sort of processes and uh thinks about things at different speeds and in different ways and so yeah of course there's gonna be you know some children who come up with an answer like so fast and there are going to be other kids who really kind of want to sit and contemplate like oh what do I want to say yeah and I've been pushing myself even to and it's funny because I I think I'm already known um for being a little bit of like a slower paced teacher in general um and I will I know that when I especially when I'm asking a question like that that's a little bit more of just an opinion like what color is this or what's your favorite animal like, I know that most likely the children will be able to come up with an answer, even if it's just something that they're saying in the moment. And so for me, I can sit and wait for a long time until they've figured it out. Because I don't need to, like, make up something for I don't be like, do you really like turtles? Is it? Would you like turtles? Yeah. That could be your favorite. You know, like, <laughs> I don't, I can wait. And if at the end, they will tell me what they need. So if at the very end, they're like, I don't want to answer or just like, or they shake their head or indicate that they're not interested, then that's something different. But for me to impose, like it has to be said in a certain amount of time is also mm-hmm. something that like, I think we rush to fill space a lot and we get nervous. And so then we like fill in the gaps and maybe the kid was really trying to decide, like, I really like cats and dogs and I just don't know which one I like more, but they're not verbalizing that. Mm. So, and it's a good opportunity too. I've had it where I call in a, a child and they're taking a really long time to answer. And some of the other kids will be like, come on, just pick something already. And then that's an opportunity yeah. to be like, hey, you know, like let's all, we're all going to be patient because we want to hear this this idea. And like yeah. maybe sometimes it takes you a bit to, to think of an answer. So like even fostering or like f- helping facilitate those things too. Because I just think the classroom is such a good space for not – I, I think sometimes it's used to like create order and to like yeah. teach kids how to, um, and there is something about that. And I think it's, especially for young kids, a good opportunity to like 
it's not like a laboratory, but it's like, we're going to like let everyone sort of personalities, opinion, all this stuff come out and then, and then figure out how to interact gently with it and with each other. So like for some of my classes, I've had, um, some parents be like, this is the first time my student is like taking, or my student, my child is taking the class. Mm. And so I don't know how they're going to respond. And like, they might they might interrupt, they might like not be raising their hand, whatever it is. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's great. That's fine. Like if anything, this is such a great space to, to help learn that. And be like, we're going to take turns because it's so important to hear everyone's ideas. Yeah. Um, and so how do we like use this as space to, to really teach, to teach empathy, to teach patience, to teach all of, all of that while also educating and, in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. If we were to um, practice that more, whether in settings like yours or at home, I can imagine that kids would feel a lot more comfortable, like sharing their ideas and sharing their thoughts, whether in the classroom or even as adults in the workplace. I mean, I can't tell yeah. you how many times I've been in a staff meeting, for example, um, and we've been discussing, you know, ideas and how to move forward or how to adjust because of this or that. And how can we plan for this family or, or you know, this group or whatever. And I'm just sitting there like thinking for a long time yeah. about like, hmm, what would be best? And going through different scenarios in my mind and and then I kind of come back to the staff meeting and all of a sudden they're like, okay, well then it's settled. This is what yeah. we're going to do. And it's blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, okay, well then I guess I won't say anything. Mm -hmm. um, because it took me so long to think yeah. through what I thought might be a good solution Yeah, that other people who and and that's fine like that's that's okay that they were able to think through it more quickly or they had a solution that was different from mine that's okay but what I think it can do to us and to our kids as well is it can just make us think well then I'm just never gonna try to contribute anything Yes. Because everyone's already always faster than me. Everyone already has mm. a solution. Everybody else has a way of figuring it out. And so I'm just not going to bother. I just yeah, won't say anything. Absolutely. And, and sometimes it's, I mean, absolutely. We learn so much through inference and mm. like what we see around. So if you see a teacher constantly validating that, like always, um, being like, oh, you were so fast. You thought of that so quick or always calling on, on the kids who are raising their hands first. It, it adds that level of like, um, I don't do well in this space because uh, yeah. this space is not designed well for you, you know, or, mm -hmm. or well for the diverse group that we have. Um, it, it just like I I have been thinking so much about that that sort of influence the influence that teachers have and being a teacher is a hard job in general it is really hard and I know that so many teachers are 
are not appreciated and um, for the amount of work that they do. And so in that sense, I'm like, oh, I feel so much for teachers. And I am like, it is a big responsibility. I mean, parenting in general, also caregiving is a big responsibility. Um, but I, I think sometimes folks just don't realize really how much they're shaping children and not just shaping yeah. them in knowledge, shaping them in, in how they are with them and how they mm. set up the space for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think, I think too, um, you know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm kind of like thinking about all the ways that we experience that in everyday life the ways that our kids experience all those things. Yeah, it's it's rewarded to be kind of the first one to come up with an yes. answer. It's rewarded to always have the right answer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, or the quote-unquote right answer because it's not always the only right answer. Um, and it's, it's so well rewarded to be, um, I think, succinct. Uh, which is something that is not easy for everyone. And it's certainly not easy for me. I don't know if, if you or any of the listeners have noticed that <laughs> it's not it it's not like I have like a thirty minute episode or interview with someone and then like boom, we got everything in and we boiled it all down. Uh because that's difficult for me but I would imagine like I'm always afraid of cutting off someone before they've had the opportunity to express you know the fullness of what they really mean and what they're really thinking and so I'm like well I don't want to do that um but I'm like that in in every setting about myself uh when it comes to other people uh I we so for this is a perfect example of I'm doing it right now um, <laughs> of taking a long time to say things. Uh, so in my work, we we had a consultant come in um, and they uh, sort of like helped us understand like communication styles, the way that we express ourselves so that we can because we haven't we're, we're starting to kind of develop into a really large program. Um, and we have a lot of team members and we're not around each other quite as much because of COVID. And so we're trying to find ways to communicate with each other really well and really effectively so that we understand each other. Um, and one of the things, you know, that everybody has kind of their own communication style and their own way of talking to people and relating to people. And, so, you know, we answer all of these questions and we go through this process of figuring it out. And then it comes around and we're and we're all sharing about what we learned about ourselves. And mine was like, you might take a really long time getting to what you're trying to say because you're expressing it in a certain way. And maybe some people are hearing you and tracking with you, but lots of people are hearing you and they're not tracking with you. And it makes sense to you and to some people. But for other people, 
like they have no idea what you where you're going with this and um and that was that was me and I was like but in the end doesn't it always make sense and you know and some people are like yeah it does and others were like no we don't know we're like sometimes we don't understand and then I I was like well but then but you don't ask what I mean you just sort of like and maybe it's because it took me so long to try to get out what I was trying to say. But if we don't if 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 we don't give space for that for other people and for our for the children, whether they're our own children or students or, you know, whatever the case may be, if we don't give space for them to first of all try to get it out. Uh, and it might take a long time. But then if we don't understand it, if we don't give space for clarifying and asking questions and saying, oh, I'm I'm not sure I understand what you mean. Can we talk about that some more? Um, I, ca- I can't imagine, you know, like what would that be like to feel so seen and to feel so understood and even I don't understand, but maybe but I want to but I want to understand what you're saying Mm -hmm. and I value you so much that I I want to understand and I'll take the time to ask questions and to learn and to you know change my perspective um Mm -hmm. because that on the one hand was not a surprise to me that I take a long time to say things and to get to where I'm trying to go but on the other hand, it was a bit of a gut punch that, like, oh, so people don't always understand me. They often don't understand me. Mm. And they don't ask me what I mean. <laughs> They're just yeah. going around not knowing what I'm talking about, which is like, okay, fine. Not everybody has to understand me. That's okay. But uh, but it made me realize that when that there are people in my life who ask clarifying questions and it made me really value that because I didn't know that there were people in my life who just never understood what I was talking about and Mm. and didn't maybe not never but but by and large didn't know kind of where I was going or 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 what I was trying to say um and if we can give children that space Gosh, I think that would be just so wonderful. Yeah. And so strengthening, I think. Um, But yeah, like that's what we, I think is what we all need for sure. Especially children, especially kids. Yeah, and I just think for teachers to kind of, to to try to have the posture of like giving kids the benefit of the doubt in so many different ways. Yeah. Um you can like you can feel that. If you feel like someone genuinely is like tr- like wants to understand what you're trying to say, like wants to learn more, um isn't just assuming that you're doing something to misbehave or you're 
saying whatever it is like I just think that you can feel that I mean it it makes me think of (laughs) there was um and this is so wild to me there was an Invisibilia uh podcast episode Mm. which I think it was called um how to be Batman it was was in season one okay and they they first start with a study basically um the podcast interviewers ask a few of the um, other NPR uh, workers. Yeah. Do you think that... Um, oh, actually, no, I'll sk- Okay, the part that I want to focus on is yeah. they were asking... Uh, they're basically saying, do you think that um, rats, like lab rats, um, can sense what the people who are with them, like whether they like them or they don't like them, whether that actually affects them and can influence them, the power of expectations and how those things really do can actually like affect things. Mm. And so, so I'll be specific with, with what they did. They had these, um, um, these people working in a lab to test the rats for something different. So it was an experiment, but they they didn't know that really they the the people working in the lab were actually being tested more than the rats. And the idea is they had two groups of rats and they said one these ones are really smart rats. They're like they're they're super sharp, whatever. Mm. They're they're great. And the other ones are like these are dumb rats and like oh, no. they're not intelligent, you know, mm-hmm. all that. Um and and just by how the lab technicians were handling the rats based on those expectations actually affected how they performed, not the rats themselves, how the rats yeah. performed based on a perceived like sense of, of um, whether they were handled carefully or gently or like, you know, wow. these are precious rats or like these are like, okay, these are whatever wow. rats. Um, and how the expectations we have on then, especially the expectations we have on people, how that affects them and how they view themselves and how they perform based on how they think others um, think of them. And the episode goes an even more extreme direction, but that's, that's different than what we're talking about right now. But that really sits with me because I'm like, yeah, for adults, especially those that are in positions of power typically, or like teachers or whatnot, like, the way that we treat our students, even in even if we don't realize, even if we're like, oh, we're treating everyone fairly, but we're actually yeah. favoring certain students or we're dismissing students or we're always sending them to the principal or whatever it is, like they can feel that and it affects, it will affect them and um, it'll affect others' view of them too. And so I come back to that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. I now I want to read that study too. I'm just going to have to take some time to make sure that I'm <laughs> going back and reading all of these because that's fascinating. That's that's wild um, that it could have so much of an impact. Um, but then when we live it, right, it's not surprising at all. When we experience it, we're like, well, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. But that is, that's mind-blowing. That's amazing that it could have such an impact in that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. so 
I feel like we have, I was going to ask about kind of what you think about the moral obligation of changing our education system um, and how it could impact you or other people like you, um, whether that's people in your immediate vicinity or, you know, people who share identities with you. Um, And I think in some ways we've answered that question, you know, like we are going to be helping children to grow into healthier, stronger versions of themselves, right? But um, I wonder if you have anything kind of that you want to add to that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think what I keep coming back to is that, that idea of being a neighbor, that idea yeah. of being a community member, because that that is where like in my mind there is a moral obligation because we we're part of something that's bigger Mm. um i think also where i feel a moral obligation is just knowing how much of our systems are are rooted in white supremacy culture um and how much of our systems are also built on oppressive structures and so Knowing that there are problems there then makes me think like, well, we can't just continue the same way. Like, is it immoral for us? Not, I mean, I don't know if it needs to be so dramatic in that way, but mm. the idea of like, oh, if we recognize that there have been problematic practices, um, structures, then the, the moral thing to do is to find, is to look at the antidotes for, and, and just the opposites of, of all the traits of white supremacy culture. Yeah. And, and how do you put those into practice? So yeah. how do you um, work to not teach children perfectionism and, and mm. that there's like freedom and space and like this sort of liberation that can happen in, in there being nuances? How do you, how do teachers... Um, you know, push against the idea of individualism and it being like this one student who's at the top and like, and this competitive drive that we instill in children instead of like, what does cooperation look like? What does collaboration Mm. look like? Um, that like the urgency that like the hustle culture and urgency and like things needing to be done fast that comes out of white supremacy culture is like, yeah, how do we, turn that and so like we give students time we don't just call on the ones who raise their hand first we um we develop a sense of like patience in our classroom so like I think that's what I come back to if I'm thinking about it in sort of like a moral way is like Mm -hmm. if we're seeing that there are injustices or we're seeing things that are rooted in injustices then like and we are in a position of power where we can do it differently then like We have to make that move. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It's true. Um, Especially about, like, that hustle culture that, like, you always got to be on. You always got to be moving. You always have to be doing the next thing. And it, it is deeply detrimental to so many people. Really all of us, but some more than others, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I I find that for myself, honestly, more recently than anything else is I think initially when I was starting my 
business, my Miss Katie Singh's business, I was so worried about making sure I had enough opportunities and enough jobs that I could subsist on this, what I was doing, because I uh, was venturing off on my own. And I think because of that, I was saying yes to a lot of things. And then Mm. at a certain point, I mean, and I'm so grateful for this, I was getting a a lot of opportunities and a lot of partnerships and with the schools and everything. And I got to this place of being like, oh, I'm not only am I at enough, I'm, I'm at kind of more than enough. Like, I don't actually have to push myself so hard. Yeah. And I think knowing that, um, so much of my, so much of people finding me and recognize my work was me making videos and me having this like online presence. Um, I know that like by putting out a lot more content, like by doing this, I'm, I'm able to increase my subscribers or viewers or people who want to, you know, um, partner with me for work Mm. and then having to take a step back and be like, yes, my work is meaningful and important and I love it and I want to continue. But like, what is this, what is this rooted in? And like, how Mm. do I work on healthy business practices and healthy like life practices for myself? So like, because hustle culture is like, just keep going, just do it. Like, you know, what's working, Mm. put it out there, like Mm -hmm. get it done. And I am having a like, really, I feel like especially the past month really wrestle with like, is it okay to just all of a sudden take a break from making some videos for a few weeks? Or like, Mm. is it okay to, to like read tonight instead of try to write a song? And like, is it okay for me to, you know, be a full person and not just try to um, jump on this because it's, because things are moving, you know? So I, I, in studying this and thinking of it for myself and for my students, I'm like always having to just keep questioning. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, um, it's definitely something that we all could do. We, We all could sort of follow your lead and do a little bit more of because yeah, it's, um, it's less intuitive than I think we realize to say like, oh yeah, I can do this thing that makes me feel like a full person. <laughs> it makes me feel yeah. whole again. I, oh, I feel like it's, and I, I feel like it's not intuitive because of how we're socialized. I just think like yeah. the culture we're brought up in, it feels so wrong, but I feel like there are a lot of cultures that, that value kind of time and space and like mm. a fuller, a life that that's not just rooted in work. And so like, I know that that's possible. I know that that is um, maybe in some ways more natural to, I mean, it's not, it's, it feels unnatural because of how we're, how we're socialized, but like if we kind of move all that around, is it actually just a more natural practice to be having this holistic, Mm. you know, way of living? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we are coming to the end of our time, which is wild. At first I was like, I don't know if we'll talk for that long because like maybe I'm going too fast or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but yeah, we are already coming to the end of our time. Um, so I'd love to hear, I guess in terms of what do you think is possible, you know, kind of within that, like what's ethical and what's moral? Yes, we, we need to change 
um, injustices and, and it, once we see inequity and once we see injustice, it is m- morally, it's our obligation to change that. Um, but obviously these things don't happen all at once. And so we kind of, we can fall into that trap of like trying to flood everything with change um, and then maybe not quite getting as far as we were hoping. So as far as moving forward with, you know, changing education, changing the way we see it, changing the way we do it and we interact with it, um, what are some of the things you think are possible moving forward? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I'm such a strong proponent of like s- small or like doing things on a local level. Mm. And then when you do things on a local level, you set an example that others can follow and seem to be like, okay, well, they did it this way. Maybe we could try it this yeah. way too. And I, I mean, it's tough because I can go on both sides where I can be like huge system changes or I could be like, start an alternative school or like start mm. a, uh, just do something in an entirely different way that feels more aligned with what you believe. Um, but then it's hard cause I don't want to totally, like, I don't want to dismiss the, the education system as is, mm. although it is a lot harder to make big changes. But I think once you, um, but I think it's possible. I think it's possible to, you know, as a teacher yourself, work on the practices and then to put a lot of pressure on the administration and then on, um, at least in your area and looking in that way. So, yeah. um, so, I mean, I like thinking about the larger level and I like thinking about how, you know, depending on how many students you have in a classroom, if you have 20, 20 students or whatever in the classroom, the influence you have as a teacher, even just in your space is significant because the way you're supporting them, the way you're, um, like helping give them space and, you know, all of that is, is going to set them up for a much healthier, successful life in that way. Mm -hmm. Success in, in like what it really, I feel like should be outside of just, you know, the, how we define success sometimes. Um, so, I mean, I'm trying to think big institutional change. Um, I mean, I feel like for my role specifically, I, f- I find myself in a very unique position because I make a lot of video content. And what I've learned is originally I made videos for families. Yeah. Um, and now I realize there's a very large educator group that follows me, a lot of teachers and administrators, oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and, and they've started using my videos in their classroom. So that That's like awesome. adds another thing where I'm like, I'm not just in one place. I'm actually able to like, people are spreading this work that I'm doing or th- the messaging that I have in lots of different places. And that, yeah. That's really interesting. I've had people reach out about doing professional development for schools. And so even though I've been like, oh, there are ways in which my practice, like I can come to those spaces, give, an I- give ideas or give uh, an encouragement for them to evaluate their practices yeah. to be more equitable and inclusive. 
Um, and they can continue to do that work. But I think it really does like, I think it takes, it takes people that are willing to be brave. And I think it takes community because I don't want to keep just being like one person. Like I think Mm, having a group of people together, um, just because like, I mean, so much, you just look at so many social movements in general, like that, that's the people just pushing against something. It's the Mm -hmm. people standing up and demanding for for change. And then it kind of has to happen because decisions are made, you know, they're supposed to be representative of a group. So yeah, that I like, those are the the different things that sort of come to mind with that. Yeah. I love that. Um, I'm, I'd be really interested to hear if you decide to do any of those kinds of professional development, like training or consulting. I'd be really interested to hear how that is for you and what that's like. And um, how exciting that educators and administrators are learning from you and saying, yeah, this this is good. It's amazing because, yeah. I mean, like I said, basically as a, a bookend from, you know, the beginning of our conversation was that I um, I still feel like it's so surprising that I'm able to be in this space because of what the typical route is into the type of role that I have. Yeah. And so then for, for administrators or people who have really studied this in a much larger, longer academic way to be like, oh, we're learning from you and we're curious what you have to say makes me, Mm. I just think that's, it's just so important to have that, that space for like different voices to come in and different levels of quote unquote expertise and just, and, and valuing the, the importance of experience as being something that can make you credible in a space. Cause for me, like it's all been hands-on learning Mm. and not much school learning for my position um, and how that's important. And I think if anything, I can take that and like then um, encourage students with that because like student maybe the students haven't done the academic side of whatever it is but they still have something to contribute and their experience is valuable and so like I know that firsthand and I think I can extend that sort of um, support to, to children in that way um, and hopefully yeah just create a better environment for everyone then yeah yeah oh I love that Katie, thank you so much for sharing with us, for taking so much time to talk with us. And I, I so enjoyed this. Um, where can people find you, find your work, support you, all of that? Thank you so much for having me. This yeah. has been so great. Um, you can find me under Miss Katie Sings, M-I-S-S. Katie is K-A-T-I-E, sings um, basically across everything. So Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. I am on so many. TikTok is shockingly my largest following. Really? Um, For my work, yeah. A lot of like people are trying to reparent themselves that find my work. Oh, I love that. Yeah, comforting, which is an incredible, like that was not the market that I was designing for. And I'm glad so many people have connected with it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I will make sure to link everything in the show notes and, um, everyone seriously, if you're looking to reparent or if you're an educator or an administrator (laughs) or you have kids, um, anything like that, um, I can guarantee you, you will enjoy and benefit from, from Katie's work. Um, I know that for me it is, it's really wholesome. To be able to mm-hmm. sit and enjoy, and I just will watch your videos, 
And my husband will be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm watching one of Katie's videos. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny that other people are doing that because I, I kind of thought I was the only one. Um, for me, it's on Instagram. I, I will sit mm -hmm. and like scroll through your Instagram videos. <laughs> and I'll grab one of my kids, you know, be like, watch this with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's wonderful to to see that. And I'm, I'm so excited. And so, yes, everyone who's listening, um, make sure that you go and you you check out Katie's work and support her. And um, thank you again so much. Thank you so much, Joy. This is great. Yeah, no problem. You've been listening to 99 Lead Balloons. Honest talk about shit society ignores. Special thanks to my guest, Katie Noregard, for joining me. For more of Katie's work, follow her on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at Miss Katie Sings. Links to Katie's social media and other platforms are also available in the liner notes. Graphic and web design by Chris Campbell Creative. Go to chriscampbell.com for more. Theme song by Luciano Music Company, licensed by Premium Beat by Shutterstock. Produced and edited by Stoke the Wild Studios. To stay up to date on episodes and content, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 99pod or go to 99pod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.